This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Geek Vibe Nation. Geek Vibe Nation. 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 The Top 10. The Top 10. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another amazing episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibe Nation. Um, as always, I'm your host, Tia, and happy Easter, everyone. Uh, happy Passover, whatever you celebrate today. Um, I know that this year's holiday probably looks and feels way different than previous years, but it's okay. We'll get through it together. But um, Thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to the top 10. Uh, I have with me my amazing co-host, Brittany. Happy Easter, Brittany. Happy Easter. I, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, so I started working at the grocery store. I'm like, please, people stay away from the grocery store on Easter. Like, go go enjoy yourselves, but please stay away from the freaking grocery store. But besides that, I'm good. I already got the posse of cats in the bed all giving me that look like, you trapped here now, girl. So <laughs> I, I'm excited. I, I've, I'm excited for uh, our top ten, too. Like, I, I kept looking. I was like, man, that's a good character. And that's a good character. And that's <laughs> a good character. I almost had, like, ten just by myself. I was like, well, this is good. Well, I was going to say it's very strange that Walmart is open right now because um, none of the supermarkets are open near me. I tried to go to ShopRite this morning, and I literally had some guy yell at me as he was walking across the street going, they're closed. And I was like, okay, thank you (laughs) for that. Thank you, Um, Random Screaming Man. (laughs) Thank you, Random Screaming Man. But, um, yes. (laughs) Um, that, that was unique, um, but it's always a unique day, uh, in Yonkers, but, um, we are, as Brittany is saying, she's really excited, we're doing the top 10, and it's going to be the top 10 characters who get redeemed, uh, at some point, I was going to say in the end, but some of them get redeemed, you know, not at the end, but, you know, there's always that character, whether it's in movies or TV shows, that they started off assholes, uh, they started off maybe the bad guy, you didn't like them, and then something happened along the way that essentially redeemed them. Um, and I think this is a great category, as Brittany said, because as I was making my list, I was like, yeah, there's a lot of assholes that suddenly turned lovable. <laughs> We love lovable assholes. What did you say? I said I love lovable assholes. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, to me, it's like I kind of love looking for those type of characters. Like, I think that they're the more interesting characters as opposed to the ones who are, like, say, right off the bat, like, good and righteous. I think that's a big thing for me, too, is we've talked about this a million times. We love the villains more than we love the heroes because the heroes are normally one-dimensional. They're normally like, I'm good because good says so, even though, okay, I love Captain America, but Captain America is a good example of that. He's been a goody-two-shoe for, like, since the beginning. 
even though he kills people. But besides that, that villains are way more interesting. Well, I was going to kind of say that Captain America is, like, this unique character where, like, they became, like, more of a badass as time went on. Like, they were more of, like, the goody two-shoes. Like, if you've noticed, like, ever since, say, the Winter Soldier, where he pretty much found out that, like, everything was a lie, and then the Civil War happens where he pretty much becomes a, like, uh, a fugitive, he kind of now is like, I give no fucks. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I was like, it was definitely interesting. Yeah, exactly. But um, I don't know, Brittany, what do you say that we kind of just uh, get, you know, into get into this, uh, this, uh, this list? I think it's a good time, right? You want me to start it out? What did you say? I said, do you want me to start it out? Well, I was going to say this. Oh God, don't I do this every single time where I'm like, all right, let's start. And I was like, wait, there's a message from the friend of the podcast. Uh, I but wait, more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. So before we do that, let me uh, start off with the message from a friend of a podcast. And it's from our friends at the main Jamie. Uh, who bring us wonderful shows such as They Call This a Movie and Stranger Danies, which is the one that they gave me a nice little script to read off of because I have no idea about D&D. So Stranger Danies is the ongoing real play D&D podcast from the main Danie family of podcasts. Join them every Wednesday as the wild stallions traverse the many traps and tribulations that Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition has to throw in their path. There's elves, weird half-dragon people, conspiracies to uncover, and more references to the 1980s and Ready Player One. Subscribe to the podcast on all podcast services by searching Stranger Danies, and make sure to follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Stranger Danies. And, of course, Stranger Danies is also a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation, and you can, of course, find us at Geek com. Brittany, I meant to ask, now that you're, like, working a lot, are you still doing your D&D on Saturday nights? Well, I actually end up having to cancel it um, because every time oh, I was working Saturday until, I know, until 8 p.m. and it would start at 7 a.m. So by the time I would get in, they would just have kind of, like, ushered my character away. So even when I started, I couldn't get back in. And I was like, well, I, you know, you know, at that point you're just like, thanks, but I understand, but I also there's no sense in me doing it because I don't want to just listen to you guys have a good time. So you know how it goes. Wow, that's so sad. I feel so sad that we had that on the podcast right now. <laughs> I know. Thank you for uh, bringing up hurt feelings. No, I was just joking. I'm I so didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> I, I'm, so, I'm so busy anyways. I told them. Well, actually, they were going to change for me so I could do it, but it would have meant that this other guy, my friend, couldn't uh, do it. So I was like, you know what? You guys do it. Just, just do it. Well, Let's get on to something a little happier, and that's the top uh, <laughs> Brittany, take it away. Good say. I'm going to start out this list with the Phantom of the Opera from the Phantom of the Opera. 
And um, interesting. And that, yeah, I, yes, uh, because I'm telling you, ever since Ansley has cried every time at the end and went, he loved her enough to let her go. I that always stuck with me. The reason I want to choose the Phantom is because since the beginning, even though he's been good with Christine, you know, he's terrorized the opera. He has demanded, he's murdered, you know, he's been awful. And we see that Christine falls in love with, I think his name was Raul, he, uh, which I love that name, uh, but he, uh, you know, they fall in love with each other. They've known each other since they were little. You know, there's that whole big thing to them. But the Phantom grows so jealous, and at the end, it's been so long since I've seen the movie, or but you know, because I haven't seen the Broadway production like you have, Tia. But um, you know, at the end, the Phantom is going to kill Raul, and he's so close to actually doing it in the movie. I think he's strangling him with rope, and Christine is so so heartbroken because she loves Raul. But the thing is, is the Phantom ends up letting them both go, even though the selfish part of him wanted to keep Christine and he was going to keep her with him, you know, and have her sing for him. He ultimately lets them both go and lets them go be happy, even though, uh, you know, that means he's basically alone for the rest of his life. And we see that, you know, if you go back to the beginning or like, I think it's at the end, you know, Christine's uh, grave from when she dies of old age eventually, and, you know, she had had children, you know, there's a rose there, and it's the same rose that the Phantom always used, and you're like, oh, he still loved her after all of these years, and I don't know why, because, you know, you instantly love Gerard Butler as the Phantom, but there's something about having where someone's so obsessed and loves someone so much, but they ultimately decide that they want them to be happy, even if it's not with them. I think that's pretty damn redeemable. I'm going to go with the Phantom. I will say, Brittany, that I did see the Phantom of the Opera on Broadway, but maybe it was just the cast. But I thought it was very boring, <laughs> which was insane because I went to go see it with my mom, and she had said that she had seen it. <laughs> she had, she said that she had gone and seen it years ago with her best friend, and how wonderful it was. Uh, but even she agreed that for some reason it was so boring. So I don't know if it was like the actors or something like that. But then, um, you know, like what dinner theater is. Yes. So we have in Westchester, the county I live in, we have the Westchester Dinner Theater, which I used to go to a lot back in high school with my drama club. And they had a production called The Phantom. And it was like, obviously the Phantom of the Opera, but like kind of like reworked a little. Like there were there were subtle changes to it. Um and that was, like, so entertaining to me. So I'm like, it's so funny that I'm like, I had more fun with a dinner theater version of this than the actual Broadway version of this. So, um, oh, no, I think that's pretty depressing, Tia. <laughs> I mean, it's only depressing because my mom had to have paid a lot of fucking money for those tickets. Oh, um, <laughs> but, speaking of which, 
speaking of which, have you seen the movie? I have not seen the movie. <gasps> because I, I'm sending you money. You're going like, to go rent it. You're going to go rent it, and you're going to watch it today. Okay? <laughs> okay? Um, Maybe. We'll see how I'm feeling. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. No, no, my friend. Oh, you don't get a choice in option. this. I wasn't asking. I was telling. <laughs> <laughs> oh my bad. My bad. I came up a little more aggressive than I meant. But um, I, this is an interesting take. But based on what you have told me, I think that that's certainly redeemable because um, we knew how, say, obsessive the Phantom was with this woman, and for him to then eventually pull back and decide that he's going to let her be happy with someone else. That's certainly something that you wouldn't expect, but obviously kind of ropes into the whole tragedy of the Phantom of the Opera. You know, almost jokingly <laughs> put Hannibal just to mess Oh, my God. No. This is the <laughs> one list that he cannot show up on. Um, no, I'm just joking. Yeah, I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't care to do this to me, but I would question if you think that he's a redeemable character. <laughs> I could put Thanos and be like, he was redeemable when he snapped away half of the world. No, no, please stop. <laughs> no, no. Oh, man, Jesus. <laughs> but um yeah, I I love this pick. I certainly think that it uh ropes into what we're talking about with the top ten redeemable characters. So awesome pick, Brittany, for the number ten. I'm gonna pick the um the number nine, obviously. And I'm gonna start with a small one. Um, but if you're a fan of the show, then I think that you will agree. So it's from Stranger Things, and it's the character Steve. So uh, with the big hair. Um, so Steve in season one was like the real jerk, right? He was just obviously there to be the typical stereotype of the high school jock who is popular and a jerk pretty much. He's in season one, he's dating Nancy, and he obviously, like, doesn't care about her nerdy friends, and he, you know, mocks uh, Jonathan for being strange, you know, blah, blah, blah. So you're like, that's this guy. I hate this guy, you know? Um, really just, like, a unlikable character. And then in season two, um, him and Nancy, they break up, um, and you're kind of like, okay, good, but... Then he kind of becomes, like, a pseudo, like, guardian for all of the kids. Like, while everyone else is doing their own thing, like, he kind of steps up and suddenly he's, like, battling the monsters with the kids and he's suddenly, like, this great character um, that you actually end up loving in the show. And then by the time we get to season three, he's like one of the characters that you were most invested in watching. He is uh, really good friends with one of the kids, Dustin. Like this kid, Dustin, the one who like doesn't have the teeth in the front of his mouth. Um, he like goes off to like 
science camp, right? And when he comes back, like, none of his friends really are that excited for him to be back because they're all in that, like, really, like, gawky, like, tween stage where they like girls and, you know, they're not so interested in the, like, things that they used to be. And the only person who really shows, like, insane excitement is Steve to see Dustin. Um, And then, like, one of the favorite Steve like their mom like he's like the din yeah. mother at this point yes well so there's a thing in season three where he's working at the ice cream parlor with um oh god I forget her name but she became a fan favorite I oh my god I cosplayed as her for New York Comic Con I hate this I forget yes, her name I love that outfit by the way very hot yeah. <laughs> Um, but they become friends and all the kids go and visit Steve and she literally says she's like how many kids are you like pretty much the father of or something like because they all go and see him so and then one last thing like at some point he has this moment where he tells the girl that he's having this adventure with that he likes her and she pretty much like reveals like that she's gay and he takes it, like, super well, like, doesn't try to, like, change her or make a big deal about it. He's just like, oh, okay, like, cool, you know? And so I think that that just goes to show, like, his character development throughout the season because if you just solely watch season one without knowing who he becomes in seasons two and three, you're like, oh, this guy's a jerk. And he just totally gets redeemed and he's honestly one of the favorites in the whole entire series so yeah he's from stranger things i was gonna say i think i remember um you know when stranger things very first came out i i started watching it but i petered off and i never got to finish it out uh and i'm trying to think and I think I remember going, man, I hate this guy. You know, I was like, but as I watched it with you whenever I was in New York last, I was like, oh, man, uh, he's kind of everyone's mother. He's going to be such a good dad when he gets older <laughs> because he's really like, or he's going to be a good mother, whichever one he wants to be. But uh, I, I was just, I was tickled because there's he's such a goober with these kids, like, like, he's just, like, such a sweet, fun-loving guy. But, um, oh, what was I going to say about that? I going to say what's ironic, uh, to not get away from the point, I almost put Hopper as a redeemable character. And I, because I was sitting there, I was sitting there, and I was like, he's kind of a dick at the beginning, too. And he's got the messed up issues from losing his daughter, and he's kind of rough around the edges. But we see what he goes and does later on in the series, and you're kind of like, you're you're a good one, Hopper. You're a good one. <laughs> but well, that's the thing. Is, I was just going to say that's kind of what Stranger Things does. It really redeems these characters that you would feel to yourself that, like, wouldn't be redeemed at all. Like, um, oh, God, I, I can't even look it up right now, and it's, like, annoying me, but he gets introduced in season two. The the guy with like who clearly wants to be like a front man for a rock band. Oh my god, what was his name? It's gonna bother me. Um shit. Anyway. Which which, um, of which are you putting any more stranger things on here? No, I'm not putting any more stranger things on here. I was just gonna mention 
uh, this character really quick to say, like, you know, what Stranger Things does with its characters, um, but I can't remember the character's name at all. Well, I was going to say um, another redeemable character, since you can't remember his name, is uh, the stepbrother. That's what I'm talking oh, what? about. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay, that is who I you're talking about? Oh, yeah. I can't remember his name either. Yeah, he was pretty darn redeemable. You know, with his ending, I was like, you know what? Because as we should get together, I was like, this is kind of freaking depressing. I hate being depressed, but you know what? I'll enjoy it if it's from this guy. Well, I'm just saying that it's like, you know, in season two, he's such a jerk off. Like, he's mean. He obviously, like, you know, you see in season two that you believe he doesn't care about his stepsister, Max. And you're pretty sure that he's fucking racist because the the only person that he has a problem with Max hanging out with is Lucas. Um, But in season three, then he becomes, like, possessed, and he's still, like, the bad guy. But then you get this, like, flashback of, like, how he grew up and how difficult it was and maybe an explanation as to why he is such a jerk. You find out that he really does care about Max, and in the end, he sacrifices himself to try to save everyone. So it's like Stranger Things does this thing where it's like they give you a character that you're like, I hate this character, or this character's so such an asshole, and then just does decides to redeem them. And it's like, goddamn Stranger Things. <laughs> All right, Stranger Things is like rough on the soul. You know how they say uh, chicken noodle for the soul, chicken noodle soup for yeah. the soul. This is like yeah. um, hot, spicy, beefy stew that's going to burn your butt after you're done with it. It's like it's good <laughs> while you're doing it. But the, the repercussions, are they worth it to you? Are they worth it? <laughs> yeah, so we just went through a bunch of characters from Stranger Things that are redeemable, but the main person for this is Steve. Um, while they're deciding to burn down Yonkers in the background, Brittany, give us your number eight. I'm going to go with uh, Cable from Deadpool 2. And my reasoning on that is, so when you first meet Cable, and you kind of get like that that little hint to his character whenever he hurries up and goes back to the past. But when it started, I was like, man, Cable really wants to kill this kid. You know, that's kind of messed up, which I can't remember the kid's name, Fire Kid, who's all friends with Deadpool. You know, I was like, man, that's really messed up. And the way Cable is basically the villain for most of it because they're trying to fight him off, which still think I still love. Uh, Death Step sucks and how upset uh, Deadpool is over that fact. But, uh, you know, you go through it and you're slowly realizing exactly why. And he has that teddy bear on his hip that's pretty charred. And you're like, huh, I wonder what that whole thing's about, because you see him pick it up and put it on his hip. You find out this kid that goes on to be a little shithead and basically a murderer and one of the most powerful villains during this time who Cable was trying to hunt down because he's basically a part of a task force in the future, and that this kid literally burnt his wife and child alive and that you saw him see their charred corpses there, and that that teddy bear was a burnt-up bear of his daughter, 
and you realize, oh, okay, that's pretty redeemable. I, I see why you want to kill this kid now because you see the monster he's going to become and what he does to you in the future. So, you know, that's really hard to not, you know, go, you know what, dude, you you, you go ahead and do what you're going to do. I mean, I'm not going to enjoy it, but I get why you're doing what you do. But then we also see towards the end um, with uh, Deadpool, I think, isn't it that he's dying and Cable has that last thing that's going to send him back in the future, send him back in the future, push him back to the future. And, you know, he'll basically get to enjoy his family and enjoy being, you know, how things are. And what gets me is whenever he uses it just to go back in the past again. And I like that whenever he, uh, what does he do to his chest? He like pats something like, he does something so that it won't hurt him. I think it was a bullet. Uh, like, he puts something in something so that he wouldn't get hurt like he did last time. And that you realize he gave up that chance just to save Deadpool and let this kid have a future that isn't messed up. And that he gave up having his future with his child. But, you know, he they th- they figure out, I think, later on how to send him back to the future but I was like, you know what, Cable? That's pretty damn redeemable. You were able to see the error of your ways while also suffering the hurt that you've dealt with for a very long time. So you know what? I'm here for it. So yeah, Cable from Deadpool 2. Yeah, I totally agree. Because when they first had the commercial for Deadpool 2, it's like they totally, um, you know, portrayed Cable as the villain and he was going to be the main baddie and like, you know, it's Josh Rowland, so we're already used to him as Thanos and freaking it's like um what you calls it, you're you're saying there, okay, well he's gonna be another villain and look how badass he is. He has this metal arm and he's from the future and he's pretty like determined to, you know, kill this freaking kid and automatically you're like, wow, he must be really terrible. He's trying to kill a kid. Um, yeah. But then, but then, you know, as you continue on with the movie, you find out his real motives, and then suddenly he becomes, like, this really redeemable character where you sympathize, and you kind of, like, let's not lie, Brittany. You kind of are like, yeah, fuck that kid. Let's kill him. <laughs> right, right, right. And especially because he's been kind of a shithead for the entirety of the movie anyway, it's easy to dehumanize him and go, well, yeah, fuck that kid. You know, he's kind of a little shitlord. Why do we want him in the thing? But then you're like, oh, yeah, he had a really bad upbringing. And, you know, he was uh, part of this messed up orphanage that even Domino knows about. And you're like, oh, well, this kid never even had a chance. He just needs somebody to believe in him. And that person's supposed to be Deadpool. Yeah, and I like that, that Deadpool is, you know, because Deadpool has all these flaws and everything, but... If there's one thing that he is, you know, really strict about is that he wants to save this kid no matter what, even when it seems like that really is unrealistic, you know? I know. And you wouldn't expect it for someone like Deadpool, who is uh, 
kind of the worst in the words of, well, what's his name? Oh, who sings that? Oh, I um, like <laughs> I know who you're talking about. Are you meaning, um, uh, oh, God, from Parks and Recreation? Yes. Yeah, I forget his name. <laughs> I, was, I, I was like, we're, we're, just, we're just forgetful today. Yeah, we definitely are. Um, but I, I love that you decided to put Cable on this list. He absolutely deserves to be on it. And it, every time we talk about Deadpool 2, all I want to do is swing back and rewatch it. I know. I'm kind of like, mm, maybe after work, that's what I'll do. Well, we do have it in the family library, or I think I have it in my individual library. We decided that that's what we were going to do today. Oh, I think I think that's actually what I'm going to do, but I, I have too much homework that I need to do and too much stuff I've put off. But then, then, just maybe, just maybe, we'll get to do that. Just maybe you'll be able to watch Deadpool too. I love it. Um, let if me it's like Hercules who... and the stars align and, you know, the moon hits this phase and the earth is in, like, the perfect angle, maybe, just maybe. <laughs> Tia? I'm sorry about that. I apologize. I have to put myself on mute. Um I, as someone who is like a radio person at heart, I really am like the type that hates dead air. And so whenever I put myself on mute and I'm like away from the phone and you're like talking or someone's talking and then they're like, okay, it's clearly your turn to talk. I'm like, shit, <laughs> what's going on? Also, there just seems to be a lot going on in my apartment today. <laughs> so I do no, apologize I for that. <laughs> It's completely fine. But, Brittany, I love that you putting Cable down. I am going – I have, like, a bunch, and I'm like, I don't know who to really pick, and I feel like some of them are a little far-fetched. But, you know what, I'm just going to be this person and put um, freaking Ward Meacham. Now, this is the second time Oh, my Ward God. Has... You put Ward. You know, don't give me hell about Hannibal anymore. Ward <laughs> is your Hannibal. You know what? But he's actually redeemable. Give me what? one example <laughs> that, that Hannibal is freaking redeemable. You can't. I could disagree, anyway, so... continue. <laughs> Um, so, obviously, I'm going to pick Ward Meacham. You know what it is? I've been super into, like, a Tom Pelfrey mood just because he was in Ozark Season 3, and obviously that just came out recently. And not only when stuff like that comes out, it's like um, what you calls it, you know, now all the interviews are out and blah, blah, blah. So I've just been seeing Tom Pelfrey everywhere. So I'm going to put Ward Meacham. You know why? Because he is, like, the only good character in Iron Fist, right? And when you first meet Ward, you're like, F this guy. He is snooty, pretentious. He's freaking, like, he's the one that when Danny Rand first comes into town, he doesn't believe that it's really Danny Rand. He wants to completely cut him off from 
any money that is owed to Danny. And he even, let's be real, puts out a hit on Danny. I don't know if people remember that, but he I, I did not know Danny. that. Yeah, yeah. He legitimately tries to have Danny killed within, like, the first or second episode. Um, so you're like, what the hell? I um, guess he really didn't then, like him. It, you know what it was? He really didn't believe that that was Danny because they hadn't seen Danny since he was a kid. And so to him, he's like, this could just be some random stranger, you know, who decides to capitalize on all this and say that he's our childhood friend. And in reality, it's all a con to get the money um, because the business was supposed to be between the Meachams and the Rands. Well, with Danny and his whole family dead, it goes solely to the Meachams. So I think for Ward, he was like, he has to be protective of that money. But then obviously obviously as the season goes on, he battles with his drug addiction. Um, We see what happens between him and his father. And he decides to actually, like, he kills his father at some point. But, you know, then his father becomes like a zombie and comes back to life. So that didn't really work out the way he wanted it to. But that that happens, and he decides to eventually team up with Danny to take down his father. And by the time we get to season two, you know, him and his sister are estranged because she hated that Ward kept that secret from her, and he's pretty much, like, fully on Danny's side. Like, I hated that it ended the way it did, and we never got a third season, because it was so Ward and Danny teaming up to pretty much go to the ends of the earth to find out mysteries and shit, and that is, like, the 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 epitome, epitome of, like, original characters. Yeah. Someone who is, like, so just such an asshole, it starts off with you saying, like, this character is the worst, and you feel sympathy for them. They end up doing the right thing. And I just think that Ward is the best. So he's going to be my number seven for this list. I think that's what gets me about Ward is I think when you first showed me him, I was like, why do you like this asshole? He's literally the worst. You know, he's very pretentious. He's very, you know, haughty totty But I think what is definitely redeemable, especially when you realize what he's been going through his entire life and, like, with his family, with his father, you know, having to protect his sister and having all this weight on him while also running the company, while also, you know, dealing with his drug addiction, you realize, man, okay, maybe he could be ten times worse, right? I mean, he's kind of been through a lot. And so I think, you know, I was reading a thing lately about how, you know, in kids shows especially, they always have this bully-type character and later on, they just become a good character, and they don't really have a character change. And about how people are moving on more to, yes, you can have the bully character, but we don't need seasons upon seasons of them being an asshole and being a bad person. All you really need is just to show why the way that they are and help try to touch upon that. And I think that's big with Ward. It's like, 
He had a lot of shit happening with him, Tia. I think you can agree. I don't think I'm in a bad mood if I like stub my toe and it's probably going to last most of the day. I couldn't imagine having a super abusive father and dealing with all that and then trying to be like super uh, hospitable to some guy that you don't even believe is real. So, yeah, you know what? Ward, you're pretty redeemable. Not redeemable, it's Hannibal, but I mean, I guess you can be close. Uh- <laughs> when season one of Iron Fist was out, and this is before season two, I read this whole thing about kind of dissecting the character of Ward. And it was saying, like, you know, if someone came back into your life claiming that they were your childhood friend, you also would be apprehensive. And someone pointed out, I believe it's either in the first or second episode, that. Danny essentially takes his car hostage and drives Ward around the parking lot at, like, an insane speed. And this is someone who hasn't been behind a car, like, wheel ever. And so it's like, you know, Danny was exuding all these, like, really erratic, you know, behavioral traits that it would make sense even more so that Ward would be apprehensive. And I don't think that when you look back, he's necessarily the villain. It's just that he has gone through so much in his life that he's just 110% done. As you said, he had this this super abusive father, this, this secret that he had to keep from his sister, and the fact that he was battling, like, a crippling drug addiction. That all of that is... You know, you you would be Ward as well. <laughs> you know what? I think we're all a little bit of Ward on the inside. When I go to work, I feel the same way. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> agreed, yeah. agreed. I could probably go on and talk about Ward for hours and hours, dissecting his story and why he is the way he is. But this is the top ten redeemable characters, not the top 10 moments of Ward Beecham, which would be a pretty spectacular top 10, just saying. But (laughs) we have to move on. Uh, Brittany, what is your number six? Okay. I know it's going to be a little bit different, but you'll understand. I'm going to go with Black Widow. Oh, I love it. Right? Okay. So you have Black Widow who's dealt with a lot, you know, the Red Room, becoming Black Widow, you know, having her uterus taken out so she can't get pregnant and it be like a hamper on her missions. But basically being a trained killing machine, which I really still want to see the movie. I know it got pushed back, but I wanted to see it so bad. But uh, but I understand in, in these uh, current state of events, but... Uh, you know, you we get to see her when she's at her best moment, right? We get to see her working yeah. for S.H.I.E.L.D. It's kind of like having her as her good form now, but just getting the glimpses back to the past. But we see Black Widow, she's been with S.H.I.E.L.D. since the beginning with uh, Iron Man. Was she in Iron Man 1 or just Iron Man 2? I can't remember. I think it was Iron Man 2 that she uh, entered the picture. But, you Iron know, she was... Iron Man too, okay. She was that first step to helping, you know, we think of Iron Man helping, you know, launch 
all of the the Marvel movies that we have now, but Black Widow was that that usher into the Avengers and you know Shield and Nick Fury and all these great things, and we get to see her even with Civil War how she uh, she chose her side even if it meant you know we saw that she wanted to be a good person even though she originally sided with Iron Man because. You know, she just wanted everybody to stay together, and she wanted to, you know, still help the world, and even ultimately choosing Captain America, and her seeing her, we see her basically heading the, like, missions on Earth after the snap happens, and helping getting the world back to some kind of normal, normal, normalcy, normalcy, I can't, I can't talk, yeah, but, um, but then you see back to the past that she was a trained assassin who killed anyone. You know, she didn't really have a choice in it. The, you know, the issue that she had with uh, Hawkeye, like, apparently, I want to still know what their story in the from the past was. Uh, you know, but the Black Widow movie is going to be a great way for us to see her beginning. We have to think about what exactly she had to do, seducing men. We saw that she knew the Winter Soldier, you know, in and even in the comics. And even in the comics, we can see all the horrific shit she had to do. But ultimately, we're getting the best form of her. And even in the end, like, which, spoiler alerts, when she sacrifices herself for the stone, and she goes, you know, basically she didn't want Hawkeye to do it because she wanted him to be back with his family and the Avengers was the only family she ever had. So, no. I think that's pretty darn redeemable. That's so sad. I'm sitting here like, oh, uh, my God. <laughs> no, sorry, it made me want to do the, he loved her enough to let her go, except it was like the <laughs> other way around. <laughs> Oh, I, I've always loved Black Widow um, from the moment she stepped into Iron Man 2 and completely kicked ass. But you're right. Um, we don't really see it so much. Say we see Black Widow, you know, after. But she was a former KGB agent. She's had to do some really bad things. Um in Age of Ultron when she has her hallucination from Scarlet Witch getting into her head, you see that they had her shoot someone as part of the training. So she's, and she says to Loki at some point in the first Avengers, you know, I got a lot of red in my ledger. So this is someone who's obviously done a lot of bad things. And we see her as, at first, just an agent, right? This is just a job. Um, even, say, in The Winter Soldier, if you go back and rewatch it, she is she keeps Steve in the beginning at, like, an arm's length because the mission that they're doing in the beginning of the movie, Steve thinks that they're doing one mission, but she has a side mission because to her it's all about the mission. Well, but then it becomes about like the family and the heart of everything. As you said in Civil War, she just wanted everyone together. She said to Steve, it doesn't matter how we stay together as long as we stay together. To her, I think she in Civil War, she was looking at what was going on and maybe even panicking a little, like this is the one family I've ever had and now it's pretty much breaking up and I don't know how to 
you know, keep it together. I don't know how to. It's almost childlike in a sense for such a hard person. I I was going to say, and then remember in Civil War, she's fighting against Hawkeye, and she's like, we're still friends, right? (laughs) She just wanted to make sure, like, we're we're still friends after this, correct? (laughs) Oh, stop it. My heart can only take so much, Tia. It's so tragic, you know, and as you said, like, in Endgame, she was pretty much running things. Like, you have this character who went from pretty much, people probably were, you have to imagine shields and stuff, and I have to look back to see if this was actually portrayed on screen, but that people were probably a little trepidatious about her, considering she was a former KGB agent, maybe they weren't as trusting of her. Um, but then she goes from that to the full-on, like, running shit. And then she ultimately sacrifices herself because to her, that was what it took. You know, whatever it takes. That was literally the tagline for Endgame, whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And she decided that her sacrificing herself was that. And he, she was not ever going to let Hawkeye do that. Um, as much as I would have loved her to be Hawkeye. But it's going to kind oh of Oh, my God. It's savage. It's I know, but it's going to kind of suck seeing the Black Widow movie because I'm sure it's great, right? Like, the trailers just look epic, and I have no doubt that it's going to be epic because it literally looks like The Winter Soldier, and I've been waiting for an MCU movie like that movie since that movie came out. Um, And then it's going to suck because it's like, okay, this is a prequel, and we're never going to get any more of Natasha Romanoff. Like, this is it. Which I guess is really. David Harbour dies, I'm literally going to riot. I have the feeling that they're all going to die. Like, I have a feeling that that's why um, Natasha ends up going back with Steve and Falcon. Because we see at the beginning of Infinity War, she's with them and she makes, like, she kind of makes a comment where it's, oh, we've been on the run for the past two years, you know, in shitty hotels and eating bad food, blah, blah, blah. So I have a, and there is a, like, uh, what you call it? not a rumor, a speculation going around. Go back and rewatch the Black Widow trailer. Yelena has the same green vest on that Natasha had in Infinity War, and isn't it just no. a little convenient that not only is she wearing her vest, but she's blonde in Infinity War, and Yelena is blonde, so it's like there is very much a speculation that, like, what if they all die, and that's why, Nat- and Natasha's essentially using Yelena's identity to kind of stay under the radar. Yeah. Man, they really are trying to burn down Yonkers. They're trying to burn down Yonkers. The dog's parking now. The freaking uh, bell is going. Uh, take it away for us. <laughs> I'm going to say, um, sorry, uh, but I, I want to know if I just, I want them to live, Tia. Like, you would think she'd be more heartbroken. But then again, why would she want to be so ready to give up her life if she had any family to go back to? So I really want to know. I just want her to, I don't know. 
Well, we got Gamora back, but we lost uh, we lost Black Widow, and that's where but I'm the like. Gamora, but the Gamora that we got back is not the same Gamora. That's 2014 it's Gamora. The same though. But that's the thing is I I hear everyone saying that, but that's the same thing. Like we don't have the same Loki back. Think about this, Gamora from 2014. But it's but this, okay, I'm just saying, like, this is the same Gamora before um, the events of the first Guardians of the Galaxy, before the events of the second Guardians of the Galaxy. She doesn't even know who Peter is, so that might as well be a stranger. Just like Loki is the Loki from 2012. He didn't go through the events of Thor of the Dark World. He didn't go through the events of Thor Ragnarok, and he didn't go through the events of Infinity War. So it's like, you know, um, that Loki doesn't have the same life experience or the same sympathy, the same bonding with Thor that, you know, the Loki that we love and know and those more that we know and love have. I still think, I still think you can't convince me. I mean, to me, I always, like, am sitting there, like, hoping, I really hope that Loki did somehow not die in Infinity War. I'm like, this is who Loki is. He's always, like, pretending that he's dying, but I think they made it better. his own freaking show. Uh, Which, again, is halted for the production because of what's going on. Yeah, it'll come out eventually, right? Right. I like that eventually. you have that sort of ment- I like that you have that sort of mentality, but for the Black Widow movie, you're like, no, it's just because of David Harbour. Don't lie. I mean, I. Okay, but why do you gotta be so loud though? <laughs> you know I right. right. But um, no, I. I seriously love you putting Black Widow down. I also can't wait for the Black Widow movie to come out, which I think got a release date in November now. So so everything got put. Brittany, none of the freaking movie theaters are open. The coronavirus is like everyone has to stay indoors. They'll make plenty, but they won't make as much money like I want the movie experience so I can wait I'm okay with waiting Girl. I mean they push back every, they push back everything Black Widow, The Eternals yada yada X, Y, and Z so it's like we're gonna we're gonna have to wait but it's okay it's gonna be worth it uh, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. literally riot no <laughs> um I feel like we're just doing, like, a Marvel thing now because I look at my list and I'm like, I have so many Marvel characters. Um, I know. I have a Marvel character, too. I think I only have one last one left, though. Well, I'm going to stick within the Marvel realm because why not for my number five? And I'm going to put down Nebula. Um, Ooh, that's a good one. Because you can even make, like, the argument that Gamora was redeemed because she, too, was, like, a war criminal. But she kind of, you know, switches really easily. I mean, her whole motivation in the first Guardians is to betray Thanos. But in the first 
far into the galaxy, Nebula is firstly loyal to Thanos, but then when Ronan makes the promise that he will kill Thanos, she sides with him because, you know, look at what freaking Thanos did to her. So she, but she's the enemy of the Guardian. She's fighting against them. And even at the end of the first Guardians, when Gamora's kind of like, you know, come with us, you know Ronan is crazy. And she's like, I know all of you are crazy. And she like pretty much cuts her own hand off to like yeet out of there. But <laughs> I know, out of there. Yeet. I've been seeing that so much. So I'm like, I need a way to use that into conversation. But even in the second Guardians of the Galaxy, it starts off with her siding with the Ravagers who are pretty much bringing up a mutiny against Yondu. So I want to say for, like, the first half of the second Guardian, she's still a bad guy because she literally tries to, like, kill Gamora until Gamora's just kind of like, what the hell? What is going on between us? Can we just stop and talk for a goddamn second? And that's when, you know, Nebula, Nebula reveals that she only ever wanted to be a sister to Gamora, but Gamora was always too preoccupied with winning. And because of that, Nebula got turned into this like freaky robot looking thing. And she helps the Guardians in the first Infinity War. She's still helping out. And then in uh, Endgame, she becomes like a vital part of like the team getting back everyone. Like not only is she the other survivor with uh, Tony. Like, I don't know if you remember in Endgame, she literally, like, gives Tony her food, even though it was, like, her food. She sees that he's deteriorating, and she hands it over to him. She has this, like, really beautiful friendship with Rhodey, and she literally kills the 2014 version of herself so that they could fight up against um, Thanos. And it's just really beautiful, like, Nebula's story is so amazing and so tragic because it's just this girl who's had to be strong for so long that she was just this hard shell, and then you just need to get into the shell. And before I pass it over to you, I want to say that two of my favorite scenes with Nebula is one in the second Guardians of the Galaxy where the ship that her and Yondu are using needs power, and she pretty much, like, opens up her arms to, like, plug the freaking wires in, and he's like, it's going to hurt, and she's like, promises, promises. And then in Oh, my Endgame... God. Okay, kinky, though. <laughs> and then in Endgame, when her and Rhodey are tasked with finding the orb back in 2014, and she full-on just, like, sticks her hand into it, even though it's pretty much, like, burning her hands up and she tells Rhodey she's like I wasn't always like this so I just love Nebula and that's definitely going to be my number five so what do you think about Nebula as far as being a redeeming character you know it makes me think of okay you watched Hey Arnold right oh my god I loved Hey Arnold why didn't I think about that last week when we were doing the animated shit oh yeah (laughs) I was going to say, it's like Helga, (laughs) right, who's always living in her sister's shadow, and her parents are, like, like basically abusive because they ignore her, and it's always about, uh, I can't remember her sister's name, but it's always about the sister, Olga, yes, 
It's always about Olga. They have their drunk mother who's always, quote, unquote, drinking juice out of a cup. And we have the father who's always so hard and aggressive. And, you know, Helga really gets, like, where she hates Olga. Probably doesn't hate Ader. But I think even Olga lets her know, like, hey, you know, I know it seems this way, but I didn't want that. You know, I, you know, have always having to live up to their expectations, you know, and basically letting her know how she hated it. But it makes me think of Nebula and Gamora, because Gamora doesn't particularly want that from Thanos, but Nebula has having to face that abuse and dealing with all of this. You know, it's hard for her not to be resentful. And, I mean, honestly, I probably would be, too. You know, Thanos is the only father they've ever known. And so I'm just like, man, that sucks ass. Well, I was going to say really quick is that you can't necessarily, like, blame Gamora. Like, I can see where Nebula has the resentment. Like, you would feel resentment. But in Gamora's mind, it's like she doesn't want her body parts replaced. So it's like she's in a survivalist mode and it's, you know, unfortunately it's like near, you know, it's like near you. Right. And to her, she was picking her. And I think with Nebula, she was just like, I would have liked if just once she would have like seen me as a sister and decided to kind of like not beat my ass so that I could have at least. Well, she's like, Oh, you couldn't let me win just once. You couldn't just let me win just once. And I'm like, Oh, but to you, no, I think like, she makes the point. Go ahead, sorry. I, I was gonna say, well, I think it, she makes the point that she's like, you know, you saw what he did to me, and you couldn't let me win just once. It was like basically implying that winning was more important to Gamora. But you know, honestly, yeah. I wouldn't want my parts replaced either. Because I mean, at that point, Nebula was like all robotic. I mean, let her have it. No, I'm joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> it is incredibly yeah, sad, mean, though. I mean, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you can think of Gamora's stance, but to me, like, Nebula is just such, her journey in the MCU is so interesting in that she goes from being this villain who is, you know, an adversary of the Guardians, and she is, I think, maybe even more vicious and more determined because she has that personal vendetta. But in reality, she's just, like, a little girl wanting a sister and wanting some sort of approval. Like we even see in Endgame when they go back to 2014 Nebula, that she's so um, like eager to have Thanos' approval, right? Like she picked anything. Like she's excited to portray the future version of her just to get on Thanos' good side. Like, she even steals the gold plate from the future um, Nebula to make herself look like that so that she can infiltrate the Avengers. And I'm like, just to see where she went, because it's like, she's so, she's like, you bitch, blah, blah, blah. And Nebula's like, I'm you in the future. You become this. Like, chill out. Right, <laughs> right. Man, but good yeah, time. I, I just love Nebula. I really hope that we, I don't see why we wouldn't get her in the third Guardian, but I really hope that she ends up in the third Guardian. (laughs) Me too. I'm like, have you seen her without like all the makeup on? She is one hot redhead. No, 
don't know if I told you, there's this movie. So the actress's name is Karen Gillian. Um, she's Australian, I think. Um, but she um, she's been Australian. I know. And she's super tall too. I think she's like five ten or something like that. But she um she directed and starred in this movie called um, The Party's Just Beginning. And it's like a cute, like you know, not cute. It's a little depressing, but it's like a nice indie type movie. But the whole thing yeah. is that she she's in it, right? And like. Tia. We may have lost Tia. Let me try calling back in. Tia, can you hear me? Hello, Brittany, you there? Yes, I, right. I am here. Oh, okay. What the hell? This is the second week in a row that it freaking dropped our call. Oh, I know. Well, like, you were in the <laughs> middle of talking, and it just cut off, and I was like, huh. I said, we may have lost Tia. And then I was like, well, maybe we lost me. So I hung up, called back in, and then it was, like, I, unmuted, and it was just silence. I had this whole... I had this whole talk, and I was explaining something, and then I looked down, and I was like, oh, my God. I have no idea what the hell. So what what was the last thing that the audience heard? <laughs> I heard you go, there was this movie. It's a cute indie film that's kind of depressing. And that was depressing. Oh, my God. I was talking for, like, a solid friggin' minute. Um, audience. I'm so sorry with every disruption that has happened during this podcast and every disruption that has pretty much happened in these past few podcasts. Because I have no idea what the hell is going on. Blame it on the coronavirus. But really quick, oh my God. there's really quick. There's this cute and depressing indie film where the girl who plays Nebula, um, Karen Gillian, directs and stars in. Right, and the main guy who she, like, has a relationship with is Lee Pace. So it's funny to me because I, you know, Lee, P- Lee Pace played Ronan. And I'm like, did Karen give him a call and was like, hey, that, remember that one time we were in a Marvel movie? Do you want to star in this movie that I'm directing and we can make out a lot? <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> Which is kind of cute. It's on Hulu. You should definitely check it out. I'm going to say it does sound cute, but I don't know if I can handle depressing in my life. I already get enough of that as it is, Tia. Well, it's pretty much, I won't go into it. I won't go into it. But my main thing is that she is, as you said, a beautiful redheaded woman. And I think that she's actually extremely talented. And if Marvel wanted to give her the chance, I think in the future they should let her direct a movie. I know. I wish I almost wish Nebula would get her own movie. And I know that's like probably like, oh, you can't get everybody a movie. 
but I think she deserves it. It would be kind of cool if, if there was like a prequel series, right? Like just a limited time mini series on Disney Plus of maybe Nebula and Gamora and Thanos or something like that. And, you know, because I'm like interested in how, well, and also I'm like a Ronin fan. So it's like, I'm interested in knowing like, how did that relationship like first start, you know? Like, did Ronan approach Thanos? Did Thanos approach Ronan? I have to think that maybe Thanos approached him because I don't know. And what race is Nebula? Is a big like, is she like him? I don't think so. Or there's lots of. Well, I was just going to say there's lots of characters who are blue who aren't Cree. And even then in the Cree race, that always confused me that, like, they're not all blue. Because if you watch Captain Marvel, it shows you people, who, like, Jude Law's character isn't blue, but he's a Cree. Yeah. Oh, no. Now, now I'm either. confused. My brain hurts, <laughs> which is nothing new. <laughs> but let's move on. Brittany, what's your number four? I actually switched something around. I was going to go into a Marvel character, but I think I'm going to go with Mad Sweeney from American Gods. Oh, shit. (laughs) Speaking of hot redheads, um, speaking of which, at my new job, right, there's this girl, and she's super fiery. And she has really long red, red hair, and it's natural. And and I said, oh, you're fiery. And she said, God gave me a warning sign and flipped her hair. And I was like, yes, he did. Yes, he did. But um, I'm getting with Matt Sweeney because uh, as we find out, you know, he's pretty awful at first. I mean, he murders uh Laura Moon. Is it Laura Moon or Laura Moon? I can't remember. But murders Laura. What'd you say? Laura Moon. Laura. Okay, because there's Laura, 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 Laura. But Laura, she, um, you know, we see that he's the reason that she died, that she, um, that she was ran off the road or the road accident. And even like when he's trying to get the coin back, he tries to drown her in the pool. I mean, not in the pool, in the bathtub, even though, you know, she's already dead. And when she lays limp and he goes, Oh, you bitch. It's still one of my favorite (laughs) scenes when the cops are coming in. But, you know, as we see, you know, and we saw him fight with shadow and we see that, you know, and, you know, looking back, looking back, there's so many little things that you can catch, like how upset Sweeney was whenever he came to that bar because he had just, like, didn't he just come back from killing Laura, like, after a while, even though he was there, but he got released because of the death. But, like, Sweeney looks pretty freaking upset. He looks pretty, you know, not okay with it. And just seeing their friendship grow, him and Laura, and you realize, shit, he's really not that bad of a guy. He's just really, you know, he's had it rough. He doesn't remember what he is. He just knows himself as a leprechaun. But seeing him 
like even his ending where he gets the spear through him and he turns it into the gold coin so Wednesday can't do anything with it, that Odin can't do anything with it. You're like, he finally got the last laugh. And him dying, by the way, with his middle fingers up is probably one of the most (laughs) epic death scenes I've seen. I don't exactly know how to continue on. I'm just obsessed with him. I remember going, I think even... um, it was when I was in Kansas, and Aaron was watching it with me, and he was like, I can't tell if I hate or love this guy. And I'm like, shh, shh just let it happen. <laughs> just let it happen. We love him. We we love Mad Sweeney, the, the fierce redhead. But I know you're obsessed with him, too. But I just think he has such a good workaround and really seeing, not from the sense of, like, oh, we instantly think he's the bad guy, but getting to see that other side of him where you're like, Wednesday's the bad guy. Yeah. I um. So if you go back, right, and watch American Gods, like knowing what you know, the first bar scene with Sweeney and Shadow and Wednesday, and he's looking at the newspaper with Laura Moon, and he's saying, you know, blah, blah, blah. I do think that that was only a couple of days because, remember, Shadow gets released from prison because they say, oh, your wife died yesterday, right? He immediately goes to the airport. He meets up with Wednesday. Like, I want to say that it's only been a few days since he's killed Laura. So it's obviously still weighing on because he tears up. Like, look at his eyes. They're they're watery. Um, And... He certainly has this, like, very abrasive personality, you know? He even kind of tells Laura, like, if it comes between me and you, like, I'm getting that coin back, right? Like, I'll just yeah. wait then till it freaking comes out of you once you're, like, rotting and shit. But he had an yeah. opportunity. Remember when the ice cream truck rolls over and her chest yes. opens up with the stitches? Like, he could have literally just took the coin, and kept walking. He said that's what he was going to do, but what does he do? He puts the coin right back into her chest cavity and freaking, like, goes on his way. And on top of that, you know, I think that Sweeney almost becomes, like, pissed at Shadow, like, for Laura, like, saying, like, you're pushing Laura away because of all this shit. You're freaking you know, obeying Odin. Like, I think there's almost, like, a part of him that dislikes Shadow because of that. Um, and he He's just... definitely protective of Laura in his own way. Protective. He's protective, and then at some point, when he decides, like, I'm so done doing, like, Odin's dirty work, because we're all sitting here, you know, pretty much pawns for Odin's game. Like, I'm going to lay a spoiler on you from the book, okay? I'm going to lay a spoiler on you. Oh, no. Odin's doing all of this just to feed his war, uh, you know, like, uh, because he's the, he's the god of war. So when war happens, it gives him power. It feeds him pretty much. So he doesn't really care about the new gods versus the old gods. He doesn't care at all about, you know, the old gods or anything. He's doing this strictly for himself, you know? So it's like 
Sweeney is like, I'm done being a pawn in your game. Like, you don't give a shit about any of this. And when he has that final stance and pretty much reveals everything, like, I'm not going to be your little bitch. Shadow, he told me to kill your wife. And then when he goes, I slept with your wife, I'm like, yes. (laughs) Which I like how Shadow suddenly cares after not caring about her this entire time (laughs) because of her cheating. And you're like, buddy. When he has that final battle with Shadow, I'm just like, holy fuck. Um, And as you said, the best is him deciding to use his power in his last moment to turn the spear into a bunch of gold coins and literally flip Odin off as he's dying. I'm like, that's so badass. I didn't want Sweeney to die at all, but that's like the legit best shit ever. What I think I like about that scene is that in lack of better words, Mr. Wednesday had basically neutered Sweeney, and so to see him back in his full strength and actually know what he was when he goes, I was a king. I was like, oh, my heart. I can't take it to know. Like him to just know, like there's no more uncertainty, right? There's no more wondering, like, am I really this? No, he knows that he's a king. He knows that he was a god. And for him, like, I still say, to this day, that's the reason why Mr. Wednesday didn't want to let Sweeney backstage is because he knew that then his real form would be revealed and he would not have his hold on Sweeney anymore. Like, Sweeney was so powerful that I think if he had realized it beforehand, he totally could have take, uh, took um, Mr. Wednesday down. But you know what gets me about that, too, is that with we see Sweeney fighting off, uh, you know, possibly a different version of Odin and killing him. So we know that at some point he had to, whether it was a different version of like saying like, oh, that religion was coming into his place and he was sending it off. But, you know, you have to wonder, you know, he's powerful enough to handle him. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, that whole episode was epic, seeing him in, like, full Celtic warrior garb and shit like that. Oh, it was so cool. That episode I watched, like, on the edge of my seat because I kept thinking to myself, are they really going to kill him? And I really thought that we had whatchamacallit, like, made it past the moment where they were going to. I was like, oh, I was like, they're teasing us, right? But maybe he's not really going to die because that scene under the bridge is where he dies in the book. So when they got past that, I was like, oh, okay. But then as soon as they were fighting, I was like, it ain't going to go good here. It ain't going to go good here at all. I know, I know. I wanted to turn it off and go, let's just pretend this never happened. We live in a happy world. We live in a happy world where Sweeney didn't die and Odin yeeted off to wherever he came from. <laughs> right, exactly, like exactly. Would you say really quick, this is just going to be an honorable mention because I'm not going to put him on the list and I'll be quick with this. Would you say... That technical boy got redeemed at some point. Fuck technical boy. Nobody cares about him. 
Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I can consider I him redeemed, but still. I mean, not as much as the Matt Sweeney. No, Matt Sweeney was the MVP. No, I just like to tease you, but no, he he's great. He's great. Not as great as Sweeney, but he's pretty great. <laughs> I remember, like, first getting into American Gods, and I only did it because of Pablo Shriver, the actor who plays Matt Sweeney, for those who don't know. And I was just like, what the hell am I watching? He's a leprechaun. But we all know that, like, Pablo Shriver is, like, six foot five. <laughs> and I was like, what I is going on? I like when he's, like, kind of tall for a leprechaun. And doesn't he call him, like, racist or something? <laughs> Pretty much he was just, like, that's a very narrow view of the world. <laughs> um, and I was just like, oh, right. <laughs> but I, I, I love the other leprechauns so that we could have seen what other leprechauns look like. Well, they are bringing in a leprechaun for season three of American Gods. Um, the guy who plays Ramsey in Game of Thrones is going to play, like, a legitimate leprechaun. And apparently he's going to be, like, a good leprechaun, which I can't see because all I see when I see that actor is Ramsey. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but when does he start skinning people alive? Yeah, right. When does he? When does that fake hey, like slip away? That facade, and we get to see yeah, the real he, him. I don't trust him because he was playing kind of a good guy at, at first in Game of Thrones before he literally led Theon back to death. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know what? You, you're right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> let's Thank let's you, throw but... him out of the off the island. <laughs> but I love your pick um, for number four, being Matt Sweeney. This is the second time within the last three weeks that Matt Sweeney has been on the list, and I ain't mad about it. I was ain't mad about it either. I'm good with it. I'm good with it. But um, I'm going to hit the number three, and considering we talked about Game of Thrones, I am going to put down The Hound. <laughs> Because oh, when we first meet the Hound, he is the, you know, I don't want to say bodyguard, but, you know, one of the, and he's not a knight. He always says that he's not a knight, but one of the fighters for Robert Baratheon, and he's pretty much like just a, you know, I point you in the direction and you go kill, right? Like, he literally kills a kid in the first season. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it talks about how he squealed. What did you say? Didn't he talk about how the kid squealed when he killed him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. He goes, he ran, but not far. <laughs> um, like, uh, so, bad. so the hound is just someone who is almost like a mindless killer, brute force. He, you know, kills a kid. He kills, you know, a bunch of freaking people throughout the the series. And once Robert Baratheon dies, he goes on to work for Joffrey, who is just the worst. And no worries. So, you know, so that happens. And then... At some point in season two, he flees away from the kingdom because there's way too much freaking fire. And he's like, I don't like fire. He's like, screw that. 
screw that. I love that scene, by the way. That is one of the best scenes ever when, like, they say, you know, go back there, fight for your king. And he's like, fuck the king. Fuck the kingdom. And I'm just like, whoa. (laughs) Um, He just leaves. But then he freaking, you know, gets a hold of Arya and, like, that's a very turmoilist. Termolius. I don't know how to say the word relationship at first, but we see throughout, like, so at first you have this character who's, like, essentially a very horrible character, but he shows, like, signs of redemption kind of throughout, like, even though he goes on to at first scare Sansa and pretty much intimidating her, he saves her from being raped at some point, he offers to take her away from the kingdom. And even though he would probably at first love to drown Arya in a lake, he ends up (laughs) protecting her. Um, You know, he doesn't need to hold her. He says at first, oh, I'm only going to keep you until I can give you off to one of your relatives so I can receive a bounty. But that doesn't happen. And he fights Brienne of Tarth and pretty much almost loses his life just to try to protect Arya. And then, of course, you Isn't see at the end. that she's so strong that she beat him? Well, yeah, that was the thing. Like, when people see Brienne, they're like, did you know that she beat the Hound? And it's like, wait, the Hound got beat by <laughs> Brienne? And it's like, that's how freaking strong Brienne of Tarth was. So, and then, of course, you see at the very end, um, Hound comes back, and him and Arya go to the kingdom, and in the midst of Dare, uh, Daenerys freaking setting everything on fire. He decides to tell Arya, just leave. Which, oh, I love that scene so much when it's like they're both going to go up to the tower and he just stops her and he's like, no, go. And she's like, but I can't. I have to go there. I have to kill Cersei. And he's like, you've done enough. You don't want to end up like me. Like, just leave. And it's like he literally like, just told her to leave and realize that this is no place for a young woman, even though she wasn't a child at this point, but, you know, this is no place for a young woman to be. Um, She doesn't need to live her life like this. She can still live and not die in a burning, like, inferno pretty much. And that's another thing. The person who's literally afraid of fire who freaking ran away from battle because of fire is in a burning freaking tower fighting against his brother after so many years of resentment and literally just like topples <laughs> the guy into a pit of fire. <laughs> no, I'm going to say that's very symbolic. It's very symbolic. But I was like, man, why did the hell have to die? But he has such a good redemption arc out of anyone. Anyone. Yeah. And when he tells uh, Sansa, he's like, you know, you wouldn't, basically that she wouldn't have had to deal with all of that stuff if she just would have come with him. And she's like, oh, but I would have still been your little bird or something like that. I was like, oh, yeah. my heart. Oh, my God, I love that. When he says to her, like, you could have just came with me and not had to deal with Ramsey or Joffrey. And she's just like, you know, as fucked up as it sounds, it's like that was necessary for her growth to experience those horrific moments. And it's like he really just cared about, like, the Stark girls. He cared about Sansa. He cared about Arya. And it's Big just such a redemption arc. 
the Big Daddy hound. I love the hound. Like, it's so hard to go back and watch it and see him as anything else. Because, like, at first you're like, wow, I forget, like, how much of a bastard this guy was. And kind of a, like, unemotional killer. But no. then you just remember how it is. Like, that scene in freaking, they're in some, him and Ari are in some sort of tavern. And he pretty much says, like, at first the guy's like, oh, is she with you? You know, blah, blah, blah. Like, let me get a crack at her pretty much. And he's just like, nah, this is mine pretty much. And then he just decides to, like, go all ape shit crazy at them. And he it is so brutal the way he kills some of those people. I'm like, I would not want to what be in that situation. What is it? What does he say? He's like, are you really going to die over some chicken? And he's like, you oh, yeah. are? Oh, yeah. He was like, he was like, um, because he was like, now get me some chicken. He's like, I think I'll take two chickens. And the guy's like, you served the kingdom all your life, and you're going to die for some chickens. And he's like, someone is. <laughs> someone is. So <laughs> I like, oh, shit. <laughs> and cause, I hate how much I you love him. Well, because at that point is when he defected away from Joffrey and all those soldiers were still soldiers for, um, you know, like they were king's guards. And it was just so great. Like, I love that fight scene. There, like, if we talked about Game of Thrones as a whole, there are a lot of redemption arcs, I want to say. Um, I would say Jamie Lannister had a good redemption arc up until they stayed with Brienne nothing else happened everything's fine yeah, exactly. please don't talk to me end of conversation <laughs> by the way I have to tell you really quick while we're on air um, if you don't mind so I haven't kept up with season 3 of Westworld I'm just going to wait for all of the episodes to come out and then watch it because I am a terrible like week by week watcher but no. the Westworld so Westworld is an HBO show and Game of Thrones was an HBO show and I couldn't believe they actually did this because at some point like I guess they're ta- I saw it on Tumblr I guess you know they're going through the um, the facility right and they're I guess they're thinking about like shutting down the park or reworking it because they're talking about like all the people who are out of work and as they're talking they point to this one glass room they go. Like, those guys, they're out of work. And it's literally the two creators of Game of, Thro- Game of Thrones and freaking Drogo. And they're both – and it's Drogo. And they both are like, hey, I'm going to dismember this. I heard it's going to, you know, sell really big on the black market. And he's like, oh, that's a good idea. And I'm like, oh, my God, they literally had, like, a crossover. <laughs> And I'm like, wait, oh what my is God. Game of so are they implying is, that, like, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones is all just a like world? a park? Oh, my God. I hope they played that on April Fool's. That would have been so good. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like, I mean, it was just, like, a cute little, like, I guess, cameo. But I'm sitting there, I'm like, what if Game of Thrones was its own park? <laughs> I know. It's like, uh, you know, the people are probably like, ha ha, you're funny. And the rest of the world is losing their fucking minds over it. Oh, I saw some people like really pissed. And I'm like, all right, guys, it's just like a ha ha funny. Like, because, you know, some people like really hate 
the people behind Game of Thrones, and I kind of hate them too, considering what they did in season eight. But I'm not like that hateful that I can't like appreciate the little like nod, you know? Yeah, yeah. Nah, so, anyway. I I can't believe they did that though. That was ballsy. You gotta give it to that him. was ballsy. <laughs> gotta give it to Westworld, man. But um, yeah. So number three is gonna be the Hound. Brittany, give us your number two. My number two is that sounded really wrong. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, sorry. There was a loud clap of thunder, and it scared me. My my uh, my heart fell out of my chest. Um, I am going to go with. Let, let me double check because I think I still had the same person as my number one. Yes. I am going to go with Severus Snape from the Harry Potter series. Have you, do you I know why? Have, um, have you seen I any of them? With, God, I think I saw the first one when it first came out, but I cannot tell you anything that actually happened. I just know that he was like the asshole that everyone thought was like the bad guy and the villain, but in the end he like, I guess, loved Harry Potter's mother and, like, protected Harry at the end of everything. So let me learn you something, Tia. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So quick recap. You're right. Severus was the asshole. He is the man who made Harry's life a living hell and hated his father because Harry's father was a straight-up bully to Severus growing up. Right, even though, to be fair, Severus was kind of an asshole. Well, the whole thing is that Severus was a pure blood, like a pure blood wizard, which means that he had no muggle blood in him. But I think that, um, oh, I think that Lily, which is Harry's mom, was a mud blood, which means that, you know, she was basically half muggle, half wizard, like had wizarding blood in her, just enough to actually, you know, be a witch. Well, So this goes on, right? And I'm trying to think. I'm giving you the backstory first. Well, Severus has always been in love with Lily because they've known each other since they were little kids. They didn't meet at the school, I don't believe. I think they met in, like, the muggle world. And, you know, it was really cute. Well, they grew apart once, you know, school happened. You know, imagine Severus as, like, the little emo kid as Lily's, like, the – Oh, sweet, popular girl, right? They kind of set up that dynamic. Well, it goes on, and so I'll skip this part. So we're going on to, like, how they're at the school, there's Harry, but you don't realize that Severus has been watching out for Harry this entire time because of how much he loved his mother. And you think, because towards the end, Severus kills Dumbledore, right? And that's a, you'd be like, oh, my God, that's the worst, right? But Dumbledore was dying anyways, and he needed Severus to uphold that, like, because he was double agenting, because you think Severus is working for Lord Voldemort at this point because he was a Death Eater, which, you know, a follower of Lord Voldemort since, like, those days. But he never realized that Lord Voldemort would kill Lily because the prophecy saying that Harry would kill Lord Voldemort. Sorry, there's this long thing, and I'm probably getting some things wrong. I'm just trying to think of how to explain it. Well, ends up, Severus has been protecting Harry this entire time. 
Well, ending up, Lord Voldemort kills Severus, or like the snake kills Severus, I think. And as Severus is laying there, right, as he's laying there, he tells Harry to look at him because he he has Lily's eyes and he wants to see Lily one last time before he dies. And so he gives, I think he, I, this is the part I can't quite remember. So they can take memories out of their head, right, and put them in a jar and it basically will let you look back at the past, like the memory. So I think Harry sees, uh, like, I can't remember, that could be completely made up. I'm just trying to remember because it's been so long since I've read the books. But basically you see back that, like, all these memories of, like, how Severus has been protecting Harry since growing up, how even in the first movie uh, with the Sorcerer's Stone, uh, there's a part where you think that Severus is chanting, right? And, like, casting a curse on him, but really he's whispering protection spells to protect Harry during this Quidditch match. Or how he's done this or that. Or how, uh, at one scene, the Patronus that he uses is, like, a, uh, I think it's a doe. And it's because the Patronus, that was Lily's Patronus, and that he, it took her form. And basically this whole thing, because for all the movies, Severus has been an asshole. He's been like a total and other dick. Because the reason he's a dick to him is because of his dad, but the reason he loves and cares about him so much is because of his mother, and he lost his mother and the love of his wife, and so she's been having to protect her son forever even though he looks exactly like his dad who he hated and who bullied him and it's just so much to you there's so much to it it makes me want to cry I remember when I read the book because mom would take me to every midnight release and I would get the book and I would start reading forever right and when I read that part I sobbed for days every I was like inconsolable every time I would think about it I'd be in the middle of school I would start crying when I read it I start crying it was bad it was like breakdown dying all over again oh my gosh no I so you know I didn't read the Harry Potter books I didn't watch the movies but like Harry Potter is one of those things that like it didn't matter you still kind of knew things about Harry Potter just because it was so popular that you just Whether you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't avoid it, you know? And I remember, like, when the last, you know, book came out, the last movie, I think it was the movie probably more than anything, but when everyone was talking about Snape and his redemption, and, it's like, and I remember thinking, I was like, wait, isn't he supposed to be the bad guy, the guy with the long black hair? I was like, isn't that his thing, that he's the evil one? And I was like, oh, that's a pretty cool twist. So I remember, like, hearing about it either from people or looking it up online. Again, it's just one of those things, like, you could not avoid it, right? No, and yeah. I think. I think that is cool. Like, I think that's a really cool thing for it to pretty much be, like, the long haul and to have essentially, like, a character's story pay off in such a way I think is really awesome. And I just know that Alan Rickman brought a lot to that character and people really enjoyed the Harry Potter series and the franchise. So I think that's really cool. I think that if we're talking about characters who have 
been redeemed that Severus Snake certainly deserves to be your number one just because I think that there would be a whole freaking community of people worldwide that will agree with you. You know what really sucks sometimes is I was so obsessed with Harry Potter growing up and I loved it so much, but the fandom like ruined it for me. Like, oh, what house are you a part of? Well, I'm this house, you know, and shame on you for being this house. And uh, I'm sorry, liking Harry Potter is not a personality trait. <laughs> and yeah, so uh, people it, like it just, make it that. Yes, they're like obsessed, and I'm like, I love Harry Potter too, but I like like that person that's wearing like all the Harry Potter clothing and like all that, like, but it made it hard to like continue it. Cause you could be like, Oh yeah, I really love Harry Potter. And this person's like, but do, like, cause this is really what happened in school. This girl was, I was like, Oh yeah, I like Harry Potter. And she's like, but do you really, do you know this and this and this? Do you, what house are you a part? Of? Oh, I bet you're a Hufflepuff. And I'm like, Oh my God, shut up. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And at that point, you don't even talk about Harry Potter. No, I mean, I, like, there's so many fandoms that have ruined things for me. Uh, Supernatural. Transformers fandom. (laughs) Supernatural. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say, like, you know, it's funny because, as say divisive as the DC and Marvel like communities can be, you do find people like such as us at Geek Vibes Nation um, that can be like not only fans of both but not toxic fans. So it's like there's enough that you can find your little community and just kind of look at like the crazies and be like, well, they're just the crazies, right? So no. that's how I feel about it, but. No, I get you. Like, that's the thing I see all the time on, like, you know, Tumblr and shit. People literally, like, saying, you know, that they're part of this house and that house. And I'm like, wow, people take this really seriously. Oh, I know. That's, like, you know, that's, like, I remember, too, you know, people would say Pinterest isn't a personality trait. Like, some people make it, like, like, okay, this is a little bit of, uh, like, an offshoot before we get to the number one. It's, it makes me think of, I know we've talked about this a couple of times on the show. Remember when we went to a Supernatural convention and they very, very specifically said, don't ask for hugs and all oh, of that. Yeah. And then people would cry and be like, oh, my God, can I hug you? And, like... Oh, oh my god, you saved my life. And I'm like, stop it. Stop it. There can't be that many. Like, I know this is bad. And this is going to be an unpopular opinion. I, we all know about depression. We know about, uh, like, suicidal tendencies. But I, I'm telling you, there's not 40 people at these freaking conventions saying, you saved my life, can I have a hug? Bruh, you're guilting these poor people into hugging you. Stop it. Stop it. Get oh. some help. No more hugs, COVID-19. Um, but No more hugs, COVID-19. I want to say really quickly before we move on, because it reminded me of when you were talking about, like, how, like, the Harry Potter fandom, like, literally being a personality trait. Um, it reminds yeah. me of, and this is definitely going to be a hot take. Um, 
you know, because I like Star Trek. You know, I've watched Next Generation. I've, you know, watched the reboot movies. I haven't checked uh, Star Trek Discovery, the recent show, but I hear it's really good. Um, and I like Star Trek, but, and I would have like a little necklace, you know, or a ring, you know, it's cute having little things like that. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine, but I watched this documentary one time where this girl, like, literally goes into work in a Star Trek uniform. Like, and she literally, like, and she literally, literally, like, puts the badge on, and she, like, takes it seriously, that she's, like, well, uh, according to the badge, like, I'm the captain of the, 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 you know, and I go, and I, you know, check for these things, because it's the duty of, you know, blah, blah, and I'm, like, and they, they, like, and they interviewed, like, her coworkers, and they're, like, yeah, it was a little weird at first, but, you know, everyone has their kooky things, and I'm just, like, you have a really, really tolerant job. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> a quick side note to that. My uh, my friend who lives in Ohio, he he's, like, one of the bosses over this IT department, right? And he, he yeah. kept telling us every day, he said, there's this guy that comes in with a cloak. Like looks like out of Harry Potter, <laughs> and I said, I said no, you you're joking. He finally got a picture of this guy. I don't endorse making fun of anybody, but if you work in a business where people are wearing suits and you come in with a mother effing cloak on, a literal cloak with like a hood on the, <laughs> like I can't even, Tia, I can't even. I just think that some people cannot. Like, you know, they can't tell the difference, I guess, between reality and fiction. And we probably just lost half of our listeners right now. But, you know, I mean. Please don't wear a cloak to work if you work in that kind of environment. You know, I guess, like, that's what conventions are for, you know. But, like, you know, it's just uh, I can't, I can't. Let's move on before we we just really go down the rabbit hole. But um, we are down to the number one on our top ten most redeemable characters. I'll go through the uh, the list so far until we get to the number one, and it's going to be Phantom of the Opera, Steve from Stranger Things, Cable from Deadpool 2, Ward Meacham from Iron Fist, uh, Black Widow from the MCU, Nebula from the MCU, Matt Sweeney from American Gods, The Hound from Game of Thrones, Severus Snape from Harry Potter, and I'm going to do number one, and I feel like it's a bit predictable, and it's a bit, you know, on the nose, but I don't give a shit. I want to put this character down, and it is going to be Loki. <laughs> I almost put him. I almost yeah. put him. He was the other Marvel character, but I said, "Oh, Tia's probably going to do this. I should leave her alone." <laughs> and I do. I ended up doing it, Loki. So, all right, come on now. Like, we got to talk about Loki. I mean, first of all, he has been this tragic character since day one, right? Thor 1 comes on, and he's kind of the trickster, mischievous brother who then we find out has really put into place this whole plan to get Thor booted off the island, essentially, so that he can take his place. And he's pretty much manipulating everyone around him, like 
if you remember, he told Thor that the father died, and, you know, uh, he has that moment where, like, Thor, not Thor, Odin gets so stressed out, he falls asleep, um, and, like, that whole thing happens, but then there's, like, you know, I mean, I could talk about certain scenes in Thor 1 forever, such as in you know, finding out his adopted story and then him, you know, letting go on the bridge, which, you know, Odin, definitely not the thing that you should have said while your son is hanging off of the dark abyss, just saying. Um, you you're remember right, that? Right. You remember that? He's like, like I did it for you. Remember, he's like, I did it for you. I did it for all of us. But Odin's like, no, Loki. And then he just lets go. And I'm like, maybe wait to, like, say all that when he gets up on the bridge. I'm just saying. Um, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That scene where I was like, Odin wasn't the best father in any uh, capacity except for his death. The Loki. Not Loki. It's like... You see why Loki has such, like, mom issues, though. Because, of course, his dad was never there for him. He had his mama. (laughs) He's a mummy's boy. Well, I think that that's uh, the explanation as to why, say, Thor and all the other Asgardians are so, um, you know, they're so bulky and they're warriors, but Loki is very much into his sorcery. And Frida even says at some point, I forget if it's in Thor The Dark World or Endgame, but she says, don't forget, I was raised by witches. So she clearly taught Loki all of that. Um, but So we have Loki, who obviously, he's the villain in Thor 1, he's the villain in Avengers 1, he's kind of not trustworthy at all in Thor The Dark World, and we see him literally at the end fake his death to take over Odin. And then Thor Ragnarok comes, and still you're like, this bitch literally, like, has been pretending to be Odin this whole time. And he has moments where he goes to portray uh, portray um, Thor in it. But in the end, it's like he freaking has this whole reveal, to, like, like Gamora and Nebula, right? Where Loki pretty much is just like, I just want to be your equal. I just want to be your brother, right? Um, oh. And in the end... Loki comes to save everyone when you think that all hope is lost. He literally has brought all of, like, the the fighters from, uh, oh, God, I forget the planet that the Grandmaster was head of, but he brings Korg and all of them to fight against Hela, and he welcomes all the Asgardians onto the ship. And then literally in Infinity War, he stands up against Thanos so to try and give some sort of a fighting chance. And he knows that it's probably going to kill him, but he does it anyway. And I'm like, Loki literally had this long-ass journey to finally get redeemed. Like, that was his journey to finally not only feel like he was truly as guardian, truly Thor's brother, but to then make this play that is so, you know, selfless, where Loki has always been selfish, um, to try to save Thor and the other Asgardians. So it's going to be Loki. It has to be Loki. Um, I know you were going to put Loki on your list as well, so let's talk about it. <laughs> I And what gets me, what gets me is, like, I just love that even when he became, like, the king of Asgard, uh, he he didn't do anything. 
playing. He just just plays. And he's happy. Can I can I interrupt you for one second? It's so funny because this whole time, you know, in the first score, he tried to over, you know, take Asgard, and you think like, oh man, if Loki ever gets his wish and becomes leader, it's going to be terrible. There's going to be like slaves everywhere. People are going to be dying. Blah blah blah. And in reality, he just wanted to like eat grapes and drink wine and freaking, you know, put on plays. Just like maybe we should have always let Loki be the leader, right? <laughs> Uh, what, what, what gets me about it is, like, he didn't even do anything, like, out of everything, which is funny, because, you know, we see him in Avengers, where he's, like, trying to kill everybody, he's trying to do this, he, he, you know, he tried to kill Thor, and it's like, this is literally all he wanted, which, by the way, I love whenever he's, like, when Thor tells the story of, like, Loki turning into the snake and then biting him, and he does, like, the hand motion. The best in that story, though, is when he's like, and then he he was like, wow, and then he stabbed me, and then it goes back to Loki, and you see Loki smirk a little. (laughs) All right. He's so happy. He's so happy. And it's so, Thor is the older brother, isn't he? Yeah, I think that that's the assumption that he, although when they're kids, they don't really look like there's much of like an age difference between them. But I think that Thor is supposed to be the older because I'm assuming that that's the reason why, well, we find out that obviously the reason why Loki doesn't get the throne is because he's a frost giant. But I'm assuming that's how they put it as to why Thor was getting it is because he's the eldest and the eldest always gets the throne first. Man, I would say only child Tia over here. <laughs> only child oh Tia. But, um, yeah, no, I loved it that Loki's, like, whole thing is that once he gets the, the throne, he literally just wants to put on plays about himself. Like, and he... he I know, he but he's being the hero. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God, it's hilarious. Um, Quick... Fun fact, in that little play, the actor who is playing Thor is Chris Hemsworth's brother, Luke Hemsworth. So I always thought that that was really funny. Um, funny. But, yeah, Loki definitely, to me, in the MCU, is, like, the most redeemable character. We've had plenty of redemptions, like Nebula or whatever, but Loki, we've literally been watching this since the first phase of the MCU and it's literally taken all the way to the third phase for it to pretty much flush out. Which, speaking of which, can I give you a quick honorable mention on that point? I was going to say, it's time for the honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. First off, your mother brought up Bucky. He would have been a good one. I saw that. I saw that. (laughs) But you know who I just thought about who had a really good redemption arc that I didn't even think about? Freaking Tony Stark. Oh, my Tony, God. Because Tony was, that. like, selling weapons and being a bad person and being a man whore. And he literally does, like, a like 180. That is true. That's a good one. I didn't even think about that, like, the ultimate um, redemption story is Tony Stark going from being all about himself to, you know, in the first Avengers, Cap even says to him, oh, when it comes to, 
you know, they pretty much have that conversation, you know, that he's not going to do anything if it doesn't benefit him. And he literally, like, chooses to, to die to save all of humanity. That's crazy. I didn't even think about that because I think I was thinking about, like, say, villains. Um, but, yeah, yeah that, that makes sense. <laughs> Man, um, now do you have I'm any other out all over again. Um, I had Darth Vader. Because you know he was good, bad, really? and turned oh, back yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Darth Vader, um, Megatron in some series or slash movies. <laughs> uh, who of else? Course. I'm trying to think. <laughs> oh, who's another good one? Who else had a good redemption? Uh, Negan. Negan did. Because Negan was a bad guy, but now he's taking care of Shane slash Rick's daughter and, like, basically (laughs) almost lost his life over it. Well, there is that. There is the Negan. Um, I had uh, Logan from Westworld, Ben Barnes' character, uh, because he goes from being an asshole to, you know, being actually the one who's in the right. Um, I had Grady Travis from Fury, John Bernthal's character. Um, I had one last one that was a, that was a bit of a stretch, so I didn't put him on. But I put Porn Stash from Orange is the New Black. Oh, that is a good one. <laughs> um, he did yeah. get better. He did get better to the point where he's literally raising that child at the end. So, I mean, they made it very clear that was, like, one of the end scenes of the whole entire series. They wanted to get across that, like, he's now a great father. So, um, Brittany, I think we did a pretty awesome freaking job going through these ten characters who were redeemed in some sort of capacity in movies and TV shows. I think we just pretty much love these type of characters that they can find the humanity. I love it. Which, by the way, I love the Oh, I was just saying, if you heard a crazy noise, somebody's car alarm has been going on for, like, the last 10 minutes, and I'm sorry. They just turned it off. I thought I was going crazy. I felt like you that one time when somebody's car alarm was on for, like, hours. It was, like, five hours that one time. But I didn't hear anything, which was good. And, please, you don't need to apologize, um, but, yeah, so, Brittany, while we still have a couple of minutes, why don't you plug your shit, let everyone know where they can find you and what you got on the horizon. Oh, yeah, because I'm a Twitcher, right? Me and Tia argue about this every time because she, uh, since I stream on Twitch, she calls me a Twitcher. I'm like, no, I'm a streamer. And she's like, you, somebody okay, on YouTube Ryan called me a last week and even backed me up. Yeah, he only did that because he's on Mixer. I don't call him a Mixie. I don't call him something. You call him a streamer. He's an idiot. No, I'm joking. He's not an idiot, but I hate him. But I don't hate him. I just dislike him. No, I'm joking. Start going down the line. No, uh, I told you there's a rivalry. It's like Xbox versus PlayStation. But uh, you can find me everything needs to be a rivalry. Hey, he started it. I was fine. He started it. Mom, it's his fault. Um, 
But uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash itty-bitty-brit. I've been playing a lot of uh, Vampires, the Masquerade Bloodline, which is a really long freaking name, uh, where basically we are a fledgling. We got sired by a vampire in the middle of dirty, dirty L.A., uh, where there is underground mafia vampire shit going on, and we're in the middle of it, and we have upped our seduction almost to max, and we are seducing everyone to get our way, which is the proper way to play a vampire game. But, yeah, it's been a good time. I normally do it at 8 p.m. on Monday, Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday, which I'm not doing it today because I got called in to work, so I'm working today. But you can catch me Monday. We are going to be playing The Forest with a couple of friends and doing that, and then we'll be going back to vampires. But you can also follow me at itty-bitty-brit0 on Twitter, which is where I update my um, update my schedule in case there's any issues, conflicts. But, yeah, yeah, and I run polls. So if you want to decide what I do with my stream next, whether or not I want to play Final Fantasy VII, Doom Eternal, or Resident Evil 3 is a good place to find me. Absolutely. Everyone, make sure you check that out. Um, you can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Tia Fabi. Um, I also posted a new Tea Time with Tia on YouTube at our Geek Vibes podcast. It was on The Bodyguard, which is an amazing show that you need to check out. It's on Netflix starring Richard Madden. Awesome, awesome show. And I also have a review out on our website, Geek Vibes Nation, for the Netflix show Unorthodox, which I really recommend. I got Kelly to watch it because I just think it's an amazingly just powerful series. But So make sure you check that out. Make sure you check us out, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. We're everywhere and anywhere. And we will catch all of you next week. So see ya. Y'all have a great day. Bye. Happy Easter.